Welcome to Matters of Experience, a podcast that explores the creativity, innovation, and psychology driving designed experiences and encounters. If you're new, a warm welcome. And to our regular listeners, thank you for tuning in and supporting our conversation. My name is Abigail Honor. Hello, everyone. This is Brenda Cowan. Today, we're talking with Mike McCarthy, who is the VP of Design Communications LTD, fondly referred to by most of us as DCL, who builds really amazing architectural specialty products. DCL's clients are designers and developers involved in large-scale new construction and renovations of things like sports stadiums, theme parks, shopping malls, basically big infrastructure and some really cool places to hang out. Mike's been involved in thousands of projects over his 20-plus year career, including, and this is a really impressive flex, Mike, work for Walt Disney World, SoFi Stadium, TD Garden, Madison Square Garden, Gillette Stadium, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Amazon, Coca-Cola, Hasbro, and many, many others. That should have a soundtrack. Can Mm -hmm. I just say that should have like trumpets sort of (laughs) layering behind it. I think it'd take the entire podcast list all out. Yeah, yeah, he really would. I can imagine. Mike's also on the board of directors and executive committee of SEGD. And for those listening who may not be aware of this association, it's the Society of Experiential Graphic Design, uh, which I'm also a member, uh, has members from across our industry, and I recommend everyone to really consider joining. Lastly, he serves on the board of directors of the Massachusetts Business Roundtable, and he has a family. And I think my question really should be, Mike, how do you fit it all in? Well, it's <laughs> it's all a labor of love, so I'm, I'm lucky, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here with uh, you both today. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm going to get us kickstarted by talking about everybody's favorite topic, COVID. Because you have such a broad scope of the industry, what are you seeing evolving in the workplace since COVID? What's changing? Well, first of all, I will point out that COVID is actually not my favorite subject. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) So we make things for places that people go. So to have sort of a global crisis where people are not allowed to go places, not good. Right? So I'm I'm glad that is uh, dissipating. Let's put it that way. You know what? I'm certainly seeing in the post-COVID world, people trying to figure out their corporate space, right? I think everybody's grappling with, uh, you know, are we doing a, a back in the office thing? Are we doing a work from home thing? Or are we doing a hybrid? You know, maybe somebody signed a lease on a, a big giant space with one mindset 10 years ago, and and they're really unsure if that's going to be the same moving forward. I'm seeing a lot of corporations and heads of corporations trying to figure that out and say, how can we, how can we do this? And if we are going to create a space that we can sort of compete for talent, which is the other big thing right now, right, is, is competing for talent and getting people to, to work at your place versus another how can we make those spaces uh, someplace that people want to be? So, you know, you have also built a really diverse range of incredible spaces and just thinking about how things evolve, you know, what are they looking to add to these spaces um, over time? I think especially with the COVID break or in some ways, if you look at it, it's almost like a, a, a warp in time where all of a sudden it might be seven years since they updated their space, right? COVID might've been three of those, but nonetheless, all of a sudden you think, wow, it's been a decade since we 
put this in or did that. And I think there are a lot of places that are looking to add technology because they see these really exciting areas that have it. And they say, hey, we don't want to get left behind and we want to look like we're cutting edge and and we want to be cutting edge. Not to mention when you're dealing with technology, be it LED or projection mapping or whatever, it offers you a chance to do things that sometimes static environments can't, right? We can update that information. We can tell a different story. We can use it to inform people and and inspire people and tell our story and and all those different things. And so I think that there is definitely a push to technology for anyone who wants to update and stay current and look at a different way to communicate with the people that are using that space. How sort of well thought through is it when some of your clients are coming to you saying we want we want technology? Are they thinking about what that could actually look like in the space, how it would work? Um, because, you know, in my experience, we've had a lot of situations where a client would want technology, but then haven't really thought through the application of that and the longevity. And, and it runs the gamut. And so there are people who have figured everything out and here's what we want to do and here's how we want to do it. And all you need to do is tell me, you know, where can I get this one screen? And then there's people who say, what if it like lit up, but also like was like a movie? Right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's a big scope. And, you know, how can we sort of uh, help figure that out? Now, the one thing we don't do, we build, we engineer, we project manage, we install, we do all those things. But the one thing that we don't do is we don't design. A lot of times people reach out to us and say, hey, we want to add technology, we want to do all these things, how can we do that? And the first thing we'll do is say, okay, well, you need to team up with someone who's going to help you design this and help tell your story or help you even figure out where you want to be. And and through that, there's so many interesting things that they can do. They can tell their story as we see so many times, like here's the history of our company or whatever it is, or they can go in a completely different direction and and use it for public art. We're seeing that a lot too, where people are saying, hey, I have this space. We're going to put a big multimedia uh, installation here, but we really want to use it to promote art and promote the community. I think that in the post-pandemic world, that connection to community is so huge. But even that, is maybe more complicated than we're thinking, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. with every media, there are restrictions, and you, you all know this well. There's restrictions to what you can accept. How big does a file need to be? What? How do we upload it? All those different things. And we will work with partners who will sort of help them through that process. There's that piece to it, though, which is once the the portal, the monitor, the projector, whatever is holding the content is up, it's like a beast that needs to be fed. It's not good enough often yeah. to just have a short-term plan. How is that going to evolve? How is it going to change? How is it going to continue to have that dialogue with the visitor? You know, just thinking about the fantastic idea of showing and displaying the work of local artists, you still need a curator. You need somebody who's going yeah. to be there and facilitating mm-hmm. the work that goes up there. And I often find that that's not been accounted for by the client and something that you need to bring up soon because the best laid plans can go awry and make sure that they understand the commitment to to the content. Mike, how much are places mimicking, wanting to mimic other places? How often do you have somebody come up and say, you know, I just, I was over at Joe's place Mm -hmm. and 
they're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. I want the exact same thing. Are you getting that a lot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah. Imitation is the the most sincere form of flattery, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they, they see something and they liked it and say, I want to do exactly that. Okay. Well, you know, maybe not exactly that, but how could we use a, a similar concept to to work with your space and, and your story and and so forth? Mike, we've talked about media and technology Given your scope of work, you must be seeing some more big trends across the various industries. Can you fill us in? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I, I see kind of going back to that theory of people wanting to inspire. And I think that people are trying to be more socially conscious. So even if they're saying, okay, well, we're going to tell our story, they want to do it in a way that shows who they are and what their values are. Right. It isn't just we're the best. We do this. <laughs> well, why are we doing it? What is the you know, what's the purpose of our our organization? What's our mission? And so you're seeing more mission statements. You're seeing more uh, organizations try to explain who they are and, and what they do and why they do it. We're yeah. seeing that completely, too. So when you talk about let's focus on on when you want to be invited to the table, because I know it's not always at the ideal time. Sometimes you get that last minute panic phone call like help. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> fix this yep. quick. When do you need to come into the process? Earlier is better. And speaking not only for for DCL, but all fabricators, you know, I, I think they would all say earlier is better because sometimes if we're talking with a designer and a client, we can help steer in the right direction. Can you give us some examples so yeah. people can understand how you can actually Bring help us, us into your world, Mike. Yeah, sure. So budget, right? So if we're thinking, okay, well, everybody has a budget of some type. Mm -hmm. And so a fabricator may be able to say, all right, look, if you get us in early, we can take a look at what you're going for and kind of recommend cost-effective ways to fabricate that that are going to stay within your budget, right? And many, many times for us, we would rather get in early and say, okay, well, what is the budget? The budget is X. Let's work till that. Rather than say, here's what I want. Tell me what your bid is. And, you know, we mm-hmm. and others come in at 2x, 3x, 4x, whatever it is. And and somebody says, no, you got to cut that down. Cut that down to what? I don't know, but it has to be less. It, that, that can sometimes spin a lot of wheels, right? And, and you can spend a lot of time doing that. And for a designer client, you know, the design firm themselves, they can burn their budget in that process because they too – have taken on the work and have hourly um, rates they have to pay. And and that's how they do their uh, budgeting. And so they don't want to burn their time on that. And so if they bring somebody in like us early, they can sort of go through that and say, okay, well, how could we chart this course together to get to this particular finish line of the budget and of the schedule and, and of whatever that constraint is? Can you think of some, don't mean to put you on the spot, Mike, but can you think of some instances, not naming any names, where, where a designer built something out of aluminium and you had to make it out of wood or vice versa, like um, some sort of tangible example? We love aluminum, so it'd be very rare that we'd be talking to anybody out of aluminum. That's our best friend. So you understood um, when I said, did I say aluminium? I, well, I went to, I very quickly, I went to Google Translate <laughs> and, and it came out as aluminum. So I like, up oh, English, oh, English. that's what it is. <laughs> okay, okay. But uh, yeah, and so with different metals, maybe that's a good example 
right? Uh, they may say, oh, we, we want it to be uh, titanium or we want it to be this or that. And, and that can be very expensive. And we said, okay, well, here's a finish that we can do out of maybe a painted aluminum or, or maybe a, a stainless steel or whatever it is. And many times we may say, hey, this method might be more cost efficient, but it also might be more durable. And that's that's a big thing. Durability is something that I think not everybody thinks about, but is a big deal. I have a question about the elements of the good fabricator relationship. What are the essential elements that folks should know for making things work well? Trust, right? And that takes a while to build because you're only going to have trust if you've done a few projects together and, and you've been through a couple things. And and anyone who's in the construction field knows that construction does not always go to plan. And we're going to make mistakes and the designer's going to make mistakes and the owner's going to make mistakes and everybody's going to make mistakes. The question is, how do you respond to those mistakes? Did they stand by their work? Did they say, yep, we will fix it. We know about this. Did they try to hide problems? You know, for a fabricator, they're going to be looking for somebody who wants to have a long-term partnership with them and wants to get them involved in projects early on. One of the things that we always talk to our estimators about is you can't just constantly price things with people, right? So if you say, oh, I'm going to get three prices and I know, you know, company company B and company C are going to be way too high, but I'm going to have them price it anyhow. All right, well, that's a that's a process for them and that takes them time and that costs them money and Eventually, if they say, look, I've priced 40 things for you and I've never gotten one, like, thanks, but I really don't want to be your third price. So you can say, oh, God, they're always too high. A fabricator or a vendor or a supplier of any type is going to want a relationship that they have with anyone to be fruitful for them, too. Do you, you know, we often say that if we've done our job well, our work goes unnoticed. You know, if it's great lighting, nobody notices the great lighting or if it's fantastically designed or the typography, the wayfinding, if it all works together, then the visitor just goes away having had an amazing experience. Do you sometimes feel that the yeah. fabricators are, are truly like the unsung heroes? I certainly think we don't get enough to thanks. I mean, there has rarely been a parade, uh, <laughs> any sort of fanfare like that. I mean, I don't think it, it wouldn't have to be a big parade, but like a couple thousand people, I, I don't think would be out thousand. of the, the question. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I think we're the, I think we're the same, right? I think if all goes well, no one's thinking about it. A lot of times when we meet people, even if we're hiring, people will say, oh, I I never even stopped to think about how this stuff was built or that anybody built it or made it, which sounds crazy, but it's true, right? You think, oh, wow, someone's making this. Someone did that. And, And that's true of everything. Somebody makes doors, somebody makes windows, right? But we take all those things for granted as we're entering a space and we're there to experience what the space has to offer, not how was this made. And it's just a small segue, over on 7th Avenue and 23rd Street, they were renewing, updating, I'll call it, the uh, one of the entrances to the subway. Well, they uncovered it. And on one side of the street, it's the green metal. It's been there forever because it's made of metal and obviously it's painted well or repainted whenever they need. It's been there for a while. We got wood planks. So I kid you not, Mike, we now have painted green wood planks that look so temporary 
and so ugly and so cheap that I'm completely dumbfounded because whenever you go to other cities and you look at their infrastructure and their transport and you look at the hubs or the stairs down, you know, there's some investment. It needs to be there. It's part of sort of the flex of the city, right? They're proud. And ours, literally, anybody who wants to go check out 23rd Street and 7th Avenue to compare the old metal version with the new wood painted one we have. I mean, it's literally like I could have like knocked it up myself and that's Okay, much. I'm going to age myself. Watch the original pel- taking of Pelham 123 and you will hear the line, what do you want for your 35 cents? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, folks. <laughs> I just wondered if overall, you know, given you work on some big, I'm imagining government projects as well, that you see this sort of like short-sighted economy. Because when I think about longevity, I know this wood is going to be <laughs> pretty useless really soon. Yeah, absolutely. And we we do work on some municipal projects. You know, I'll actually go the other way with it and said that I've been pleasantly surprised at some of uh, what organizations are doing in in the opposite way. Logan Airport, for instance, we've been doing all the work for Logan Airport for 30 plus years. And Logan's really trying hard to look nice to be updated, to feel modern, and to do innovative things. I mean, for years and years, we just made black boxes with Helvetica and or, or Swiss 721, I think it is, uh, just the most average signs in the world. And over the last 10, 15 years, they've really been trying to put some effort into that experience. And that's a municipal organization, and that's great to see. Um, apparently that is not the case in New York, but I guess <laughs> yeah. that just might be another reason why Boston beats New York. Oh, I don't know. oh no, I fed into that. No, it was just, it was upsetting, you know, it's upsetting when you see something which for me is so important, just looks so slapdash. Yeah, I think it poorly just represents, done. Yeah, yeah, something I was, yeah. was really, really sad. But, but it, it goes to your earlier point of ideally nobody's stopping to look at it. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so that that design or that solution was the opposite where you stopped and looked at it and said, what? This mm-hmm. is terrible. This isn't right. So we have a lot of designers listening. What should they be considering from your perspective when they design these experiences? So some of it the fabricator can advise on, right, as far as what's durable and what's going to hold up to a lawnmower and all those kind of things. I will say this if you're doing technology. You need to be able to get electricity there and likely data there. There are some wireless data things that you can do and so forth, but you're likely going to need to get electricity there. And yes, there is solar, but solar is kind of limited and you're not going to run a giant LED screen right. off the the sunlight of the day. You'll see that at museums that have these giant fields and they'll say, oh, in the center of the field, let's do this. You certainly can. But is it in the owner's budget to dig up that sidewalk or, you know, however they have to get that uh, electrical service to that spot? And that would generally not be in the fabricator's scope. That would generally be in the owner's scope. And if it's under construction, the general contractor, whatever it is, and that's expensive. Now, that may sound really simple to a few few designers listening, but also my call to designers is don't just take a screen. Don't just take a 16 by 9 screen. We have so mm-hmm. much amazing technology. There. There's tons of options where it can be really part of the environment. Um, so, yeah, don't just think it has to look like this. 
and be stuck on a wall. Yeah. And I would say think about it all year long, right? So we're doing work in Cleveland right now. Cleveland gets really cold, uh, but it also gets really hot. Maybe this piece is going to go from a, a high of 110 degrees in the sun on an afternoon to negative 12 degrees. And and what does that do? And, and what do you need to think about? Mike, you've been doing this a long time. Why do you still get out of bed? What do you like about your job? What have you still got to accomplish? Where's the passion? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's two things. One, I'm incredibly vain. And so <laughs> I love when somebody goes somewhere and we did the work. So someone will go to Disney World and I'll say, oh, did you did you like this ride? And th- like that ride? They say, oh, I loved it. And I'll just say, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay. I know you did the signs. Yeah, that's great. But I, I love I love when we work on, on projects and you get to go see it or you see someplace as you're in a new city and you drive by and you say, oh, we did this and we did that. And I, I truly enjoy seeing projects that we worked on out in the wild. What I like the best is actually helping people get careers in the art field. And so I was an art kid in high school and I remember everyone's like, well, you better give that up because uh, you're never going to get a job, right? And then I I ended up going to a university and I double majored in art and mechanical engineering, uh, which worked out good. Uh, but for the art part, I thought, man, I wonder if I can ever make this work. I wonder if I can ever take this this passion that I have and and have a job and a family and health insurance and all those different things. And helping people realize that is something that I enjoy quite a bit. So I like talking to high schools and I like talking to colleges and different youth groups and all these different things and say, look, if you're really interested in the arts, there are a lot of things that you can do with that. I mean, we know through SEGD and I mean, I know so many designers that are hiring all the time. And then there are all these graphic designers in all these colleges uh, across the country. And I'm sure internationally that are thinking, oh, if I could only find a job and how would I know? And, and, and you want so desperately to connect those two and say, wait, no, it can happen. You can be in this industry and you can be doing exciting, visually creative things for the rest of your life. This, this is out there. And in our case, we hire a lot of sculptor, sculptors and painters and uh, screen printers and all these people that work with their hands. You can come work with us and you can you can screen print every day and you can build every day and and create art every day and then work with other people who are artists and have the same mindset as you. And, and we can create that great sort of art school environment in a professional setting where every two weeks we will all get a paycheck. Oh, your phone is about to ring. <laughs> but that's very exciting to me. And, and whether that's helping somebody get into DCL or placing them with a designer, and that leads into uh, another thing I'm passionate about, which is uh, STEM and STEAM. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, math, but STEAM is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And so... Uh, I do a lot of work with this in the state of Massachusetts. And if somebody says, oh, you know, we're into to STEM, I'll say, okay, cool. But have we thought about STEAM, right. which is adding art into it? And in so many ways, I mean, 
everything we do is sort of art-based, right? Industrial design and how are we going to make this look and how are we going to make it appealing so it's it's one that somebody would select or, or want to use or whatever it is. Um, there's art in pretty much everything. And even as we're talking about the these large technological installations that we put up, sometimes they are purely to display art and, and purely to promote art. And I, I think that's a very exciting thing. And as we talk about what are some of the trends that we're seeing, I think that that is a trend that we're I'm seeing a little bit that I'm hoping will expand. Well, I wish I'd met you yeah, 20 exactly. years ago when, when I was leaving art school and it was very little opportunities to actually, as you say, make money and survive through art. So I completely agree with you, Mike, in terms of like art being part of actually everything that we mm-hmm. create and do. Mm-hmm. So that's incredibly stimulating. And Brenda also gives back to the community. Brenda's a teacher too. She's oh, a professor. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I have a ton of, uh, ton of teachers in my family. So I really respect giving back to the future generations and supporting them um, to reach their full potential. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And it's something that we are fortunate to be able to do. It's, uh, it's really great. And then when we find somebody who clicks and who fits with us, uh, you know, we're generally able to keep them here for a long time. Thank you, Mike, for sharing your experiences with us today and offering some really useful insights to help us all design more successful experiences. And I want to underscore bringing in a fabricator early and thanking them throughout the process and especially at the end uh, for coming along on the journey with us and making sure that all of our designs come true. Um, So thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So thanks to everyone who tuned in today. If you like what you heard, subscribe for more episodes of Masters of Experience wherever you watch or listen to shows and make sure to leave a rating and a review and please share it with a friend. Goodbye, we'll see you next time. Matters of Experience is produced by Lorem Ipsum Corp and recorded at Hangar Studios. Tune in next time for more fun discussions about experience design.